The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, October 10th, 2017. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The Rifleman. NRA President Wayne LaPierre was on Face the Nation yesterday, making claims spurious, misleading, ad hoc, and irrelevant a few times. There wasn't really a logical fallacy that went unexplored. Now, at one point, he said this. Well, I do think this. I mean, if we could legislate morality, we would have done it long ago. I mean, Which is a good argument against doing away with all the rape laws and the embezzlement laws and the drunk driving laws. In fact, laws. So you can't use regulations or laws to fight that which is immoral. And yet later in the interview, he said this. Nobody should be forced to face evil with, with, with empty hands. Add it all up. You get the distinct impression that Wayne LaPierre does not believe in laws. So therefore, it is strange that the NRA is so effective at manipulating the government when they clearly do not believe in the ability of the government to do anything, the basic job of the government, or perhaps governance. It is like someone who is not a heliocentric being named to be in charge of NASA. That's happening, by the way. The NRA... I guess believes in anarchy, that the world is anarchic, and that the only thing between you and death is whatever you put in your hands. Stick, rock, gun, hopefully a gun. I reject this. I think we all pretty much reject this. And if we don't, why are you not living off the grid or taking up arms as a mercenary in Somalia? Anyway, the bottom line with this ridiculous argument is, of course, Wayne LaPierre wins and we all lose. On the show today, I spiel about the EPA and uh, how it's not really peeing the E. But first, he's an actor, he's a singer, he's a star of Broadway and screen. His name is Jason Kravitz, and he has a one-man show that he doesn't do a lot of prep for. I think you'll enjoy. Hi, this is Rachel Yucatel, and I'm here to invite you to listen to my podcast, Misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. This podcast delves into the lives of those who have been reduced to a single headline. Each episode will take a closer look at the stories of those who are on a mission to change their narrative. Join me as we uncover the truth behind the misconceptions, shed light on the stories of those who have perhaps been wrongfully portrayed, explore the complexities of the human experience, and celebrate the power of second chances. Who doesn't love a good comeback story? Jason Kravitz, you know Jason Kravitz. I, I mean, it depends what circles you travel in. Uh, You might know him from the practice. You might know him from, well, I identify him to my friends as he's Kimmy Schmidt's lawyer. Done. That takes care of it. But once you see the face, (laughs) the punum, as his people say, (laughs) you know exactly who he is. Oh my God. Now, I saw Mr. Kravitz in a small cabaret setting where he's doing an improv cabaret show called Off the Top. And I knew I'd like it, but I was mesmerized by it. So I needed to bring him in to talk about the mechanics of improvising cabaret. Jason, thank you for coming in. Hey, really great to be here, Mike. So 
I know you from TV. Uh, there was not that many musicals on TV, blessedly, I would say. But are you more <laughs> of a musical comedy guy than I ever knew? I grew up in uh, the musical theater. I did musical theater in high school, and I did musical theater in college. And yeah, I've been on Broadway. I did the Broadway. So with this, okay, now cabaret is, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a genre, but what it really is, is Broadway, torch songs, mm-hmm. and the American songbook. Sure. And those are all, and the odd thing is, is those are all songs or genres that I like. But if you call something cabaret, I feel a little allergic Everybody to Everybody does. And I yeah. think that's one of the reasons that I started doing this particular show oh. because people love cabaret. And I've seen, you know, a ton of cabaret in my time. A lot of friends have done it. I've never done it mm-hmm. before this. When it's done really well, it can be really fantastic. Yeah. And then there's other times where it is what everybody thinks of it, which is incredibly self-indulgent. Yes. And uh, I kind of wanted to exploit that aspect of it. Pick a character out of thin air from the audience and tell the story of that character's life in song in an hour. Thank you for being here, everybody. Oh, I'm so glad to have you here. I am Franz Larkin of Kansas City. We got a lot of songs to get to tonight. I know you all came out to hear your favorites. My favorites, too. We're going to get to as many of them as we can. But, of course, we're going to start with our number one hit that went all the way to the top of the charts back in 1985. You're playing it right now. Of course, you know it. It's called, it's called, of course, it's called Here and Gone. That's what it's called. It's called Here and Gone. It's one of my favorites. And it goes a little something like this. I've been here and gone oh so many times it seems like i was just here but that sometimes you know it's true you keep traveling on and on but as for me you see me here but it is and i said this to my girlfriend when we left you know what that was that was a master class in insincerity <laughs> <laughs> well geez thank you i think yeah. well you're playing okay so how it works is you're playing a character and right. the character all, everything about the character changes including the name and how would would you i don't want to step on too much oh. but is there one uh, naming convention, like I think it's what your porn star name is right. your your dog's name plus the street you grew up in. Right, so what right. is the character? What is the, the, the way they get the character name is the middle name of somebody in the audience, usually yeah. a man, and the uh, the street that one of the audience members grew up on. Okay, and then that's the name, and then the, the place they're from is where somebody else in the audience grew up, and so that everything about that informs the character, what the character is going to be about, and how that character grew up, and where and where they went in their life. Right. So if it were Harry S. Truman, it would be S fourth. S fourth. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, I it did doesn't get, always work. It doesn't. Well, I did get <laughs> recently. I, my name was Seth Twenty Third Street, and uh, <laughs> you just had to go with it. And I think what I said was uh, my 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 grandparents came over from the old country. When they said, "What's your name?" they thought they said, "Where are you staying?" <laughs> so I ended up. That was their last name, Twenty Third Street. So you get assigned your name, mm-hmm. and then and the, uh, the audience fills out a questionnaire, right? And you create songs based on these but, questions, right? I usually ask people to fill out a card that has uh, five or six different uh, suggestions from uh, a place, uh, word of advice, words to live by, the last text you received, things like Mm -hmm. that. And those turn into song titles and other things during the show. How did you come up with the questionnaire? I think I just went back and looked at a lot of songs that I had been seeing in cabarets and and other parts of the American Songbook even. And so I looked at names of songs and I said, you know what, these songs have a lot in common. There's place songs and there's songs that are a little cliche, some words that you've heard in the past, you know, um, don't 
take any wooden nickels. Don't rain on my parade. Don't rain on my parade. Little Someone phrases. took over me. Exactly. Yes. And so I started really finding that each song fit into different categories. So I figured given that amount of material, that amount of information, I could find songs out of that easily. There's a song about uh, puppy love and uh, its aftermath by uh, a guy named Jason Robert Brown. And uh, the song is is called What Are You Doing, Yom Kippur? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> one of my favorites. And I'm off to Hebrew school I haven't been there ever since The beginning of the weekend There is this girl in class She's really cute and has The loveliest of hair and blue eyes And the loveliest of cheeks And I went up to her And I said to her What's up, girl? You know I want to know the truth How you doing on Yom Kippur? Cause I like to fast with you Is it that your genius is so transcendent or is this in some way an indictment of the genre itself that it's so, I'm not going to say cliched, but formulaic that on someone who's well-schooled can perform something that really sounds 85% of the way there. And I am not blowing smoke up your tuchus when I say that four or five of those songs are better than four or five songs on Broadway right now. Just flat out better. Sub them into the show. Wow, that's pretty good. That's a nice uh, compliment. I don't know if it's genius, it's panic. What I wanted to do in doing the show was give myself something really scary to do. I've been doing this for 30 years. I've been doing television, film, and theater, and I've been blessed to be able to do enough of those that it's starting to settle in. You start to relax into it a little bit. So I wanted to find something really frightening, uh, something like a tightrope walk or a magic trick that I could be part of. And as opposed to seeing a Hamilton uh, parody or uh, there's a lot of musical parodies out there and some of them are really great yeah. and I take nothing away from those. But there's a suggestion at the beginning and it kind of moves from there. Mine is more of a collaboration with the audience in a lot of ways because I do have this fishbowl full of suggestions on stage and I'm constantly reaching in and getting the suggestions in the moment. And so I'm constantly being informed by the audience of what to do. So I feel like it's a collaboration. It's not just, it's not just me up there being this and I'm a genius here. I'm kind of like standing there going, challenge me. Come on, give me something. I want to try it. I want to try this. Is a good suggestion for you one that's open enough to go anywhere? Or when I saw you, or or to finish the question, one with extreme specificity? Because when I saw you, you asked an audience member what her father did for a living and he was like in quality control at General Electric, <laughs> and I'm like, this is death. This is death. No, but the actual, but true. the actual mundane nature of it made it delightful. Of course, yeah. Sometimes it really depends on the song. Sometimes something as specific as Victorian Arasur yeah. or the quality control expert gives you, uh, you know, you can really dig into that one thing. I spend my time with the down and out. Somewhere back in old town In the unemployment line I sat myself down That's it And I saw this man just there 
with a grin upon his face. I said, how can you smile like that? Don't you miss the race? He sat in that place. He said, ah, I used to be in human resources. I used to, I used to be in human resources. I used to be in human resources. I would do the little life insurance, health insurance. Can I get a little assurance, man? Is it an indictment or is it a compliment to the genres of music that you're doing that just off the top of your head, you can get 85% of the way there? Well, I think 85 is really generous. I'll sometimes listen to the mm-hmm. songs again and just review what I did, which is very difficult to do because all you see is like, oh, I should have said this. Mm-hmm. I should have said this. And I think, oh, these are this is a, a bunch of pretty decent ideas for songs right. that could be fleshed out. And, you know, I'm writing one song in that genre a lot of these people write 30 songs in that genre so i don't know if it's an indictment i think they're like a lot of things there's it's an homage it's a love letter but it's also a parody you know i think if you if you love cabaret you'll find a lot in this that you recognize that you'll laugh at and you'll find funny and uh, enjoy if you hate cabaret i think this is the show for you has doing this changed your appreciation either up or down of the established greats in the field of actually of Sondheim and Rogers and Hammerstein. Oh, and it's improved guys. it. I yeah. mean, I had to study these guys and you look at the intricacy in what they're doing and you go, wow, especially when you go to like the great greats, like the Sondheims and you look and you go, you're not only telling a story, you're telling an emotional arc. You're really digging into the heart of this character. And I try to do that in a funny way, yeah. but I try to, imp- you know, to uh, improvise in the same vein as he would be doing, digging into that character. I'm nowhere near the depth that he would be able to do it. But no, it's definitely made it more, uh, made me appreciate them more. And no one writes songs uh, about difficult relationships uh, better than Mr. Stephen Sondheim. And, uh, there's a song that most people uh, don't know. He actually threw it in the trash, uh, and uh, it was found uh, and ironed out and auctioned off at uh, my son's school auction. And, and I bought it, and, uh, and, and so uh, I own the rights, and I'm the only one who gets to sing it. And it's, uh, it's called uh, Up Your Nose with a Rubber Hose. And one of my favorite... He wrote it somewhere after Sunday in the Park... And assassins, so he was in a darker mood. This is a song about love. Up your nose with a rubber hose. I've worked in the emergency room for over 20 years now. I've been the doctor on call And when can I be on call to your heart? Your heart is bleeding And only I can repair it Only I know what to do If you please come into my operating room And I will hear My love, lie back 
upon my table Lie back and breathe in slowly And now, up your nose with this rubber hose Let the rubber hose go down your trachea Into your lungs and around Do you think with these kind of songs. Cabarets are not the only place you would see it. You might see it if there were still a Borscht Belt, for instance, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Could you do that show? Could you tweak the show to be the Borscht Belt version oh, of this? Oh, sure. I think yeah. that I was born to do the Borscht Belt version <laughs> of this. Yeah, the Tumblr version of this is one thing, and the the guy at the corporate event is yeah. another thing, or, and the, or the, the small party. The charity benefit. The charity benefit Ooh, guy. Oh, this good. It's very and, easily and come back. That would be great if you yeah. do a special show and say it's a charity benefit benefit and then you invent what the charity is right, right. there it shouldn't be too heavy oh yeah definitely no. not something actually going no, on definitely I mean, <laughs> reptile like, awareness that i've done no i could do that i honestly think that this uh the what i'm doing with the songs is the same thing i'm doing with the story you yes. know this is kind of a, a cabaret story which is very self-indulgent you know behind the music yeah. story you know i was started this way and i got big and then i dropped out and here's where i come back that's got talk about that structure shape. talk about you know a standard standard there format, is a standard right. Format within that those tent poles of that story come all the different genres of music and how you tell that story. If you're doing a, a charity benefit for reptiles, it would be a different uh, structure. But yeah, well, we probably the guy would still do that story and then just pivot a little bit. But you know, it's really all about the snakes. It's people. about the snakes. Let's talk. Can we get back to the iguanas? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make it about me. <laughs> My eyes start to mist because I'm a herpetologist. All right, there oh, you go. You already said. Why didn't you join me? I want to. Jason Kravitz is. Uh, it's it's a schedule that I've tried to memorize. What is it? The second Saturday. Yeah, it's a weird one. It's a second Saturday of every month at the duplex down in the village, the old duplex, and uh, the next one's. October 14th, 7 o'clock at night. All right, so there you go. You have to be in New York City to see this, and it's an intimate setting, but it's worth it. Can I give you the uh, the, the web address to find yeah, it? It's, yeah. it's offthetop.nyc. It's easy. And there are some clips there, too. Thank yeah. you, Jason Kravitz. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. It was great. We've all seen the headlines in the news of how someone lost their life in an act of cold-blooded murder. And while it's sad and grabs your attention, most people go on with their day without giving it another thought. But have you ever stopped to think about the life of the person at the center of the news story? They were more than just a headline or a statistic. They were someone's loved one or friend. I'm Mike Morford, and my podcast, The Murder of My Family, dives into some of those stories to help listeners get to know the person who was lost and how their death affected those closest to them. Listen to The Murder of My Family everywhere you listen to podcasts. There are well over 100 episodes to binge on now. And now the spiel. The war is over. Not the war in Iraq or Afghanistan. The other war. The war against an enemy that is remorseless, powerful, and smudgy. The war on coal. EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt was in Hazard, Kentucky yesterday. I'll be signing a proposed rule to withdraw the so-called clean power plan of the past administration and thus begin the effort to withdraw that rule. Folks in Hazard, Kentucky had never seen such a sight. 
A man in a blue checkered coat had just shown up, what with old Mitch. Old Mitch had become quite a big shot up the road in Washington. And checkered coat man Scott was there to announce that the clean power plant had gone the way of the backyard still and the outdoor latrine. So we welcome back Cole Anthracite, which is the glorious third part of the triumvirate, along with moonshine and shotguns that gave this place its character and its soot. Now, why'd the government ever... I'm, by the way, doing the voiceover guy from the Dukes of Hazard. if you didn't know. Anyway, I'll continue. So why'd the government ever gone with the clean coal plan in the first place? Was it because regulating emissions of carbon dioxide is something the EPA is obligated to do? The Supreme Court says so. But here in Hazard, Kentucky, we don't like them fancy lawyers in black robes unless they start off in white robes and pick up a little bit of coloring from being outside. I mentioned the soot, right? So the EPA administrator in his checkered coat, he talked about why the last government wanted this clean coal rule. Was it because of global warming? Was it because of the estimated 10,000 cases of childhood asthma attacks the rule could stop every year? No siree. Here's why the government wanted a rule in the first place to regulate coal. When you think about what that rule meant, that rule really was about picking winners and losers. As rules often do. I'm no longer the narrator from Dukes of Hazard. You might argue that I never really was. But rules, rules, those who violate rules will be penalized. They will lose. They will lose that point. They will lose that down. Perhaps they will lose the contest. Tangible example. The Lions got the ball to the Falcons' one-yard line, but the receiver's knee was down by rule. The Falcons won. I know football has become very political, apparently very liberal, but it does seem that rules function by saying what is permissible and what is not permissible. And if something is not permissible, then the unpermissible thing loses. It is not allowed. This is just in terms of language. Another example. Well, Connor gets ice cream because he did his homework, but Scott, you didn't do your homework, so you can have ice cream. That is the rule. What do you think about that, Scott? You know, regulatory power should not be used by any regulatory body to pick winners and losers. I get the feeling he could have stopped after the words by any regulatory body. Could end it there. But I guess the rule was picking winners and losers. Guy without black lung, winner. Guy with black lung, loser. But if the rule doesn't regulate, why even refer to it as a regulatory power? Scott Pruitt has an answer. What we ought to be about as an agency, and this is not the most profound statement you may hear. I believe you so far. But regulations ought to make things regular. He is right. Regulations from the Latin regula, rule. Regular comes from the Latin regularis, from regula, rule. Same root word. Rules, he is saying, ought to be governed by rules. And that is why I am ripping up this previous plan, because I believe in being regular. It's all part of my boss's strategy and hat, make American regular again. To that end, we have new policies in a number of areas in this administration. We're canceling the Iran Treaty. Why? Because treaties ought not to be a treat. We're upending the Affordable Care Act. Why? Because we care, so we can afford to act. We're punting on DACA. Why? It's right there in the name. The Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. So we're deferring action. It's funny with these speeches. You come for the policy. You stay for the textual analysis. 
the head of the Environmental Protection Agency continued. You know, as we do our business at the agency now, as the leader indicated, we're getting back to the basics. Protecting the environment? The first thing we're starting with is doing our work consistent with rule of law. You know, it's Congress. It's Leader McConnell. It's the U.S. House of Representatives. It's Congress that passes legislation that gives us direction, that gives us our orders as far as how we administer. That last part was very cogent. Uh, in ways, they didn't want to use fossil fuels, so they use the authority to do otherwise. In other words, this authority to do otherwise, you know what that's called? There's a word for that. Regulations. They used regulations to protect the environment. Here we have the head of the Environmental Protection Agency, who not only disagrees with the purpose of his agency, but the name. Who not only disagrees with the mission of his department regulating, but the word but he knew how to appeal to the crowd with these words. No better place to make that announcement than in Hazard, Kentucky. Hazard, synonym, danger, risk, peril, threat, and menace. Yeah, that is kind of appropriate. That's it for today's show. The Gist, Dan Schrader, Mary Wilson, they were producers. Let me think about this. Uh... There once was a guy, his name was Schrader. He'd show up now or later, and he's producing the gist. Producing the gist. There's a girl named Mary Wilson. She'd thrill you, then she'd kill some. What she doing? She's producing the gist, 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 gist. I could go low or I could go high. I could mention a guy named Steve Lickty. He's executive producer of Slate Podcast, which is to say in a long roundabout way, he's producing the gist, the gist, the gist, gist, gist. Um, Peru, de Peru, du Peru. Sounds better with an accompanist. And if I could sing, thanks for listening. <laughs>